0: It's almost going to pop for
1: after final joe it's going to be okay
0: wow that's quite optimistic sam that's quite optimistic. I mean it's going to be
1: okay like I, I just need to i just need you to know that it's going to be okay
0: uh, i wish i felt that way but i don't know we'll see
1: <laughs> i can tell you don't and that's why i wanted to start right there <laughs> off the top I don't of know, joe this
0: game got me got in a tizzy i don't know if that was evident by my <laughs> my my twitter on saturday night but i was i was quite upset in a way i don't normally get i feel like
1: So, yeah, like I think there is some sense of (laughs) me and you talked about like the warning signs for some of this, right? And we talked about it in a Patreon show, patreon.com slash five straight final, where we looked at how Atlanta United was getting the ball in the final third and realizing it wasn't really happening, realizing they weren't getting the penalty area, realizing there were issues, uh, knowing for a long, long while not that there were issues with the midfield. And I think that kind of lessened my panic level. A little bit with this Still very frustrating we're going to get to all the reasons That you absolutely should not be happy About what went down Would, would, you, say, on Saturday. It, would you
0: say it lessened your panic level Just because you kind of expected it
1: A little bit right so it kind of moved My window of panic if we want to call it that mm-hmm. And I think you know, to some extent a longer time for, horizon
0: for Exactly things exactly fixed. because
1: I, I stare at this stuff for You know nine hours a day From my job and You know for, for folks who like and I'm not saying this is you, but like I think for like a, a generally large proportion of the population who is just seeing the results and being like, okay, they 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 beat Chicago and that's good, and we got three points, and then lost to Nashville, but Nashville's pretty good, and then lost to Miami. Like it it kind of comes a little more suddenly, like those really bad performances, mm-hmm. you know. And so when you drop off a cliff, it feels a little more scary. It's a steeper steeper drop. When I kind of went down a gradual incline. A little bit. Yeah. But I still don't think I'm as far off as you as you (laughs) guys. As you
0: (laughs) That's definitely true. That's definitely true.
1: So we're gonna talk about all of it. First we gotta say the thanks to Kurt Castle, the intro music. I don't think we mentioned Kurt last week, but Kurt Castle has music everywhere. He does production, he does all sorts of stuff. But you can also find his own stuff on Spotify, Kurt Castle is the name the song is chances cut check out the patreon patreon.com slash five final if you haven't already got some guests lined up for that i had some good guests recently we're always talking to folks we're always doing things most importantly you can join the five stripe final discord where we kind of hang out and talk about all these things on a pretty 24 7 basis even if sometimes i have to tell everyone to go to bed <laughs> so and calm I, down i caught up on after that. In miami
0: to be fair to me i can't even get on the discord during games like It's just too. It's too much. Too too much stimulation and (laughs) input for me. I need to. I need a little bit calmer. So, I don't even get in there on games. But yeah, I went back and caught up on it, and it was there was a lot of uh, internecine squabbling going on. Mm, So, mm -hmm. which I think is appropriate. I mean, it's like that's that's kind of what happens when this happens to a team.
1: It's the vibe. It's the vibe right now. Let's start with why this is kind of a total disaster of a yeah, loss yeah yeah we and should set that up first i, I want to set that up to eventually come back around to explain to you why you shouldn't panic but okay. it's important to set the first part up enter miami missing their two best midfielders and we talk about how important fixing atlanta's midfield is going to be will continue to be how they need to be better and everything like that coming into this game i wrote in the striker the striker.com that This was going to be one of the few times this year where Atlanta had a clear-cut advantage (laughs) in midfield because Gregory and Jean Mata, two of Inter-Miami's most critical players, their two best midfielders, both out with long-term injuries. Mata, the injury happened earlier in the week. So Inter-Miami starts two homegrowns, an 18- and a 19-year-old. You may have heard of of Benjamin Kramensky because he played pretty well the, the week before, but the other guy, I can't even remember his name right now. I straight up can't remember it you know that they started another guy as well Dixon Arroyo who they they panic bought a couple weeks ago to replace Gregory that should be a game where against a team that wasn't good before Mm -hmm. when they had those two players right
0: right. they were 12th in the Eastern Conference (laughs) coming into this game
1: that's a game you should win even on the road even with all the things happening that are happening right now with injuries etc that is a game you should win. And it is very frustrating that that did not happen.
0: You, you you, should win it. I agree. You should, at the very least, be able to create things. You should be controlling the middle of the field. You should be dominating the game. And by dominating the game, you should then be able to create chances and create shots. And Atlanta United did not create a single shot. Not shot on target, just a single shot, until after the 20th minute of this game. Mm-hmm it's not good to watch it's not the kind of soccer that entertains its fans it's not the kind of soccer that attracts new fans it's we listen i'm i'll be the first one to say you know my favorite like soccer column of all time is the soccer is boring and it's it's mm-hmm. all about persevering you know, it's uh what's his name uh brian phillips brian phillips yeah we'll
1: post that in the discord it's all about it's like
0: persevering through the the all the boringness that soccer presents just because that's what makes some of the those 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 moments where the ball is in control so beautiful and why we kind of tune in every game to hopefully see something like that. And there was just none of that in this game. It's just very frustrating to watch for us. And certainly nobody who is if anyone was watching that for the first time as their first Lane United game is is probably not going to come back. And, you know, listen, I guess I get it, but you gotta you gotta create more. You gotta create put a better product of you know an entertainment product on the field than what we saw in that game even putting the result aside
1: so my thing is i think if the results the final result had been different uh we would have come away speaking about this in a little different terms in the sense that i think there was a decent amount of stuff to like in the sense that like the first three-fourths of the problem was solved right like they were doing things that looked like the beginnings of something i described it as like casting the play in the correct way but not having any rehearsals before Mm -hmm. you actually went on stage and did it Mm -hmm. right Uh, like that's kind of what it looked like it looked like it was something that was lacking cohesion and chemistry but to some extent the setup and the choices that were made to move Derek Etienne on the right, which was a bit forced because Eruju had the adductor entry, right? Mm-hmm. To uh, uh, pair next to Sosa instead of Pasatu. like mm-hmm. Those were all sure. the right choices. And there were moments where, especially down the left, it seemed like, there, there were moments of interplay that were really solid and kind of involved Etienne kind of shifting the structure and coming inside and towards the penalty area to, to kind of add an extra body and add an overload in a way that Lisa DeRuja just doesn't do, mm-hmm. you know? And there were even moments on the right where there was interplay between Etienne and Lennon and just kind of general cohesion there that, that looked sharp, but the final ball wasn't there that they still weren't gets necessarily getting into the penalty area much, but there were decent things to be like, okay, you know, if, if that was a structure that had some time to grow together and, and be together, then, Then maybe they do pretty well going forward. But then again, you think about them going up against two teenagers in midfield, and it kind of feels like, well, was all of that even real? (laughs) You know, and and Mm -hmm. you start to worry. Mm -hmm. You start to worry. But you're right. It it was ugly. It was not good. And I mean, they they got game stated again. You know, just one bad mistake from a chop chole, and that was that. I mean, that was that
0: I think the just to kind of focus on on Etienne, I think he's kind of a good example of of what you're saying. And also my frustration kind of all in one, which is there's there Mm -hmm. was this one play that I can remember where he drifts inside from that right wing position, which he, he was doing quite a bit from what I could tell. And. He was in a lot of space and. He does a a a back heel flick uh with like a basically like a first touch when he receives it in this space. and it wasn't a bad flick. It wasn't even a bad idea necessarily. but for me, it was very frustrating because this team has not been creating shots. They've been not getting the ball into the box, and there was an opportunity there for him to do that. And to me, it just sign signifies some sort of lack of of confidence or maybe trying to be. Overly perfect in order to I I think sometimes whenever you're doing something and you're not getting the results that you want, you really try to bear down and try to do it, you know, even better and try to be even more precise than you've been. And sometimes that can lead to. uh, Just. It kind of you kind of stray away from what is ultimately the goal, which is to get the ball in the Mm -hmm. box and and score. And so I just I think that Mm there are some mind games being played with some of the players. I think that with this run of form that they're in, I think some of them are getting a little bit in their own heads. And it was that that moment just signified to me the frustration that I have, which is that, you know, you just want to see him take a confident touch and be more threatening at the goal. And unfortunately, in that opportunity, that's just not the choice that he made. And again, it w- wasn't even like a bad idea, or a bad idea necessarily. But it was just in that moment, in the, in this moment that Atlanta United's, in, I wish, I wish he would have done something different.
1: Yeah, and I'm not necessarily sure what the answer is there. I'm not sure if it's you know uh, improving the attacking patterns that you know have seemed to be lacking lately. I don't right. know if that comes with with confidence. I don't know if that comes with better managing. I don't know really what that comes with but you're right it's lacking and that especially that last like quarter of a percentage you know that they need to have to truly really be successful in the final third and you know i i'm somewhat willing to be patient with that as long as the right players are in place and i am kind of increasingly convinced that that involves etienne starting over erizu i'm not quite sure i i know for a fact that Etienne can can find the net, can do that thing you're talking about, right? This is a guy, I mean, what, nine goals, six assists last year? hmm That's way right. more output than Liza has, has right. ever had. That's almost double his total output. Or not double his total output, but that's almost his total output in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. You know? It, it's one of those things that we know it can work. hmm
0: And that's one of the reasons why I was frustrated, in particular with that play, because, mm-hmm. again, it's like we know that Etienne can do that, but he just decided not to in that moment. And it doesn't help that you have Machop Chole up top, who's not a natural striker. Just you know, seems mm-hmm. like he's trying to learn the position as he's going. And you know, it's funny because I gave him credit, and I was saying that I basically underrated him a few weeks ago, and I still stand by that. But. My point in when I wrote that and spoke about that was uh, was that he could be like a substitute for a team, <laughs> not yeah. being a striker that you want to ideally be playing from the start. But listen, yeah, you know, the team is kind of short on options right now without Yakamaka, so it is, that is what it is. But um, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's just very frustrating.
1: Well, it kind of turns into this larger discussion, and I've seen this in a lot of places this week, and we've fought about it on the Discord. As well about Gonzalo Pineda's role in all of this, and whether that means that he should be on the hot seat. Joe Patrick, there have been two MLS managers fired this very morning: Gerard Struber and Ezra Hendrickson. Which is shocking that Ezra has gone to me, uh, but Ezra Hendrickson gone in Chicago as well. Um, that's gonna that's gonna spark some folks' imagination in Atlanta. You know, that's gonna say, okay, it, this team to me is underperforming. What should they? do to fix it and for a lot of folks the answer is fire the manager Mm -hmm. for a lot of the research though that has gone on in places like sloan uh, and just general conversations with managers etc etc the general consensus from a lot of very 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 smart people not me but very very smart people i listen to is that in the long term the manager just doesn't really matter all that much compared to what the team Actually is, and when we're talking about a team in Atlanta United that is, you know, still fourth in the East, still has 18 points, is still seventh in the Supporters' Shield standings, and everything like that, I'm not going to to buy that you know getting rid of Pineda or anything like that is, is an answer to any of this, right? Not in the way that getting the right infrastructure in and getting the right processes into effectively identify quality soccer players is going to change this team right but that takes patience that takes time that is not an instant fix the way that some people view getting rid of the manager is you know Mm -hmm. and so we have a lot of discussions because in like other sports it sometimes is effective Even though data kind of suggests it really kind of also isn't effective Mm -hmm. uh, to, to fire any kind of leadership position except for, I don't know, college football, right? For me, I don't think anything's changed necessarily over the last week with my position on this roster and my position on Pineda. I think this is a tier two MLS team which means they're not a contender, but they're right below it getting tier two results. Joe Patrick sporting KC beat Seattle this mm-hmm. weekend mm-hmm. in Seattle. Saw Anyone it. calling for, for Brian Schmetzer to, to get on out of there.
0: No, After but I, a couple
1: of MLS cops and a CCL.
0: I mean, obviously he has a lot more kind of capital with the fans, you know, that's accrued sure. over many years of success. So there is that, um, I want to start this off by saying that, you know, we're going to talk about this. Listen, like me and you love Gonzalo Pineda. Like he's great. Um, And we, as people who cover the team, we talk to him on a semi-regular basis. You talk to him a lot more than I do, but I would never like say that any like man I would never call for a marriage job at least at this point in my career <laughs> maybe I have in the past I don't know uh, I'm sure there are some tweets people could dig up or whatever but um I'm at the point now where I'm not going to call for anybody's job I wouldn't even call for Carlos be- Bocanegra's job to be perfectly honest I'm just here to tr- just try to give my opinion and to point out what I think are is factually true um and let other, you know, it's not my decision to make on who at the club gets a job or doesn't get a job. Um, I think that, you know, they have their own processes for determining that based on performance. I think they also, you know, if they're going to listen to anybody, they should listen to their customers, which are the fans, instead of me or you or anybody else, for that matter, uh, as it relates to somebody having a job. So I just want to put that out there first. Um you know that we've we've talked about this before because this unfortunately isn't the first time an Atlanta United manager has has been on the hot seat, and that hot seat has turned into a fireball for a couple of them: Gabriel Heinze, Frank DeBoer, You know all the all the managers that have that have come and gone, mostly it's except for uh, Tata Martino. So we agree that a lot of success that a team like Atlanta United has has to do with its roster and in MLS specifically, the way that you gain that advantage is, is through having these processes that you you've really harped about. And I, I agree with about, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: being able to do these little things that allow you to acquire more value than what you're paying for and get that firing for you on the field. Um, I think I think what's what's worrying to me about this time for Pineda is the way that I see the players on the field looks like. For, obviously, they're they're kind of incohesive in, in the way they're playing. They don't seem to have. A great semblance of what each other are doing, we see lots of, you know, again, like that flicked at the end, there's nobody coming on for it. Um, there aren't there doesn't seem to me to be established patterns of play to get the ball into the box. That. I feel like there should be at this point. And we saw with a coach like Tata Martino, where there was a very recognizable way that the team wanted to get the ball into the box and the players were able to execute that. Um, And again, some of that's down to the players that that are on the roster. But to me, I think that Gonzalo Pineda does have a role to play in that and or any any coach does, and i you know i've read I read what you retweeted from John Mueller, who i again another writer I greatly respect, and nobody does more research than him on some of these things, and a lot of it is the the argument is that you know it's the wages that matter it's the it's the payroll, it's the roster right um and I've done the reading. I've I've got the books right here that he references. The Socceronomics and pay pay as you play or pay pay yeah pay as you play, which are um, pay as you play is funny. It's basically the book is just a spreadsheet basically of all these different rosters and wages and things like that. Um, but you know, I think that that discounts what an, an MLS manager specifically does. And I think when you look at a coach like Jim Curtin. When you look at a coach like Jesse Marsh, when he was in at Rebels, um, you saw patterns of play that 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 exists with a certain group of players. And then when new players come in, those players can fit into roles and succeed. And I would agree on on in that matter, that, you know, those clubs bring in certain players that it, they, they have a process of bringing in players that are going to be able to play the roles that those men that the manager sets up. Um So to your point, like the, the players in the roster actually matter. But um it's just. When you get to this point in the season, when you get to a slide like Atlanta United is in right now. Frankly, there aren't going to be more players that come in, at least until the summer. So you've got to figure something out on the training ground. And I'm not giving up on Gonzalo Pineda at all. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that he should be fired. I'm just. Now it's entering my mind as to where before it didn't. I mean, last week we had a, a listener, Stamper Cinema, and he he messaged me because we kind of brushed off his question at the time um, saying that, can we all objectively realize that that Gonzalo Pineda just ain't a coach, dude? I think that was a little like dismissive of of Pineda. I know that Sam is not, <laughs> not happy with that. Um, but, you know, it's and then for me, it's not about like who was first to say that that Gonzalo Pineda should be should be fired or or we should be thinking about firing him. For me, it's just now after this game, it's kind of been a a tipping point for me as to where now I am kind of thinking about that. Now I am kind of wondering whether the players. uh, Feel like he is is their leader um, and that they're kind of getting the results for him. So sorry, I've rambled for a long time, so I'll let you pick up and give your thoughts.
1: So I like the rambling. The rambling was good. I I enjoyed the rambling. I'm a um, bad speaker. No, I, I liked it. I think you hit on a lot of salient things. I kind of get what you're saying about Marsh and Curtin and that, yes, there are established styles and patterns of play. Uh, but, you know, Jim Curtin in Philadelphia especially, you know, that pattern of play, that four forty diamond, everything like that, that direct style of play wasn't really in place until Ernst Tanner showed up. And once Ernst Tanner showed up to be their their general manager, sporting director, I don't know what his official title is. They started to to really hit on a lot of off seasons and get really, really good players in there. And that's when you really start to see the timeline change for Philadelphia. You know, to Marsh, you know, you you see him do relatively well and do really well, I guess, in in MLS. And Chris Armas takes over that same team and, midway through the season in that 2018 team, and they still win the supporter Shield. He blows it eventually, Chris <laughs> Armas does, but that team still had 71 points by the end of the season. Chris Armas took over in, what, June, July, something like that. To me, the, those are kind of arguments for the other idea, that the manager just doesn't necessarily impact quite as much. Now, I, I think you bring up a good point in the sense that I wonder as well, and I've asked John straight up about that. You referenced his article um, from yesterday, I guess it was. It was super timely on John's part. Thanks, Mm -hmm. John. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, (laughs) Then two teams subsequently fired their manager in MLS, whatever. Um, (laughs) But I've asked him straight up, I was like, well, is this different in MLS, considering everything we we always say about things being different on the margins? And, you know, it it hasn't been studied as much. It hasn't, Mm -hmm. but the general consensus still is that. You know it shouldn't affect that much, as far as the patterns of play and everything like that, and the structure that you're hitting at the kind of lack of cohesion and the lostness to some extent that we're seeing. I think that's a fair criticism, and if anything is going to derail Gonzalo Pineda's tenure, I think it is some combination of that and some combination of losing the locker room because again, I think our thesis statement on the manager is not mattering has always been, they don't matter to the extent that like a truly, truly great manager can like improve your maximum efficiency by like 10% and a bad manager can derail everything pretty successfully just by being kind of a jerk. Hi Gabby. Hi Frank. (laughs) So everyone else kind of falls in the middle. (laughs) Everyone else kind of falls in the middle. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not even sure necessarily if if Tata, you know, falls in that, like, increase maximum efficiency by 10%, considering his track record everywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know? I think even, I forget who pointed this out, but even Greg Garza and and, and others have said, like, that Atlanta United roster wasn't losing to many folks, no matter what you did, you know, in 2017,
0: 2018. There's, can I... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah, absolutely. not. there's one point of nuance I think that should be made. And this is in regards to kind of Mueller's column that he wrote and the general thesis of, you know, some of these books that I've referenced and how it relates to MLS in these books. It's a lot just about the wages. Wages matter more than anything else. And the more you spend, the better your team's going to be. And obviously Mm -hmm. in MLS, it's a salary cap league. You have some some teams can spend more. Atlanta United obviously has spent more because they've got all these designated players, and you have certain you know players that where you can spend more. But um, I don't think that that matters so much. But it's about to, you got to be more specific in in the context of MLS, and it's the value that you're getting on the field versus versus what you're paying for the players. Uh, and I'm trying to make this make sense, but. You know, when you look at Todd Martino's his, his era, um, the 2018 team, that won MLS Cup, the roster was much better than the 2017 team. That's mm-hmm. why Tito Villalba was coming off the bench in 2018 for a large stretch down the, regular, down the end of the season. Um, you had better players. You had Darlington Nagby, who ba- you basically insert Darlington Nagby into the 2017 team in place of like Carlos Carmona. That's a massive upgrade. So Mm -hmm. the roster was better. And I think that you can make the you can very much make the case. And I would agree that that's basically why they won the championship in 2018 and not in 2017 is because the roster got better. And it Mm -hmm. was the same coach. You know, all things were equal except for some players. Um, But also that team did have an identity, a clear identity of what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. And I Mm. don't sense that from this team. And I guess that's what Mm. is ultimately concerning to me. And I think that when we're talking about, you know, Pineda's job status, you do wonder, like, you know, he was the established head coach when a new president came in. And so you don't know what, when you talk about what, you know, a a manager like Ernst Tanner, I should say like a general manager like Ernst Tanner Did when he came into Philadelphia, he was actually able to mold Jim Curtin kind of into his style, it seems, into his kind of style of play that he preferred with players that he felt like would would excel in the league and everything worked out well. Can Gonzalo Pineda be the Jim Curtin to... Ernst Tanner's Garth Lager. Well, wow, I'm getting way too in the weeds of that <laughs> analogy, but 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 can Gonzalo does Garth Lagerway see Gonzalo Pineda as someone who can help carry his ideas to fruition on the field, or does he not have that confidence? I don't know. They both come from Seattle. I know that. I don't know what kind of you know relationship or like how basically mm. uh, Garth feels about Pineda as a coach. I would assume it would be pretty good. I mean, we've heard that Gonzalo Pineda was basically like the quote-unquote brains of the operation behind Brian Schmetzer's very successful run in in Seattle where Pineda was doing a lot of the tactics and Schmetzer was more of the, uh, I don't know, get the locker room together or something. I don't know, maybe, maybe Schmetzer doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but um, I don't know, we'll see.
1: It's funny how we're treading so lightly on all of this because it is complicated and you kind of have to unlearn a pretty central tenet of like your sports watching philosophy which is like direct the anger anger at the manager direct the anger at the head yeah. coach you yeah. know we do Escape that from theory. the time we're like in six you know right like oh who's the guy in charge that guy you know even if they aren't necessarily like in charge in charge and in, in some cases right like in soccer especially um so it's Tough. It's also weird because again, Atlanta United has 18 points through 11 games and is sitting in fourth and seventh in Supporters Shield. Again, I have to reiterate all of that that like it's just not quite that bad in actuality. Uh, the underlings are are mid. They're fine. Again, tier two team, kind of acting like a tier two team, you know. And I think it's still worth. Giving Gonzalo a time, even if you do raise some good points about the identity lacking, but then again, I think it's tough to institute an identity when the pieces and parts themselves don't allow for it. Agree. You know? Agree. If you if you wanna if you wanna identify your car as you know a Red Bull F one car, you gotta have Red Bull F one parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. And then Gotta maybe and drive driving the car. But.
0: Well, that leads it. Well, I don't know if we want to pivot off the conversation, but like, like San, to me, I think Santiago Sosa is a kind of a perfect embodiment of this, too, where it's like, I don't yes. know what the hell he does, honestly. Like, I know he hits the long passes. He's always like 100% on his long passes when you look at the stats, but does that seem to matter for the team in creating goals? Doesn't seem you pulled,
1: so. You pulled such a great stat about like his last 20 starts resulting in 21 points yeah fair United. United that's yeah. so much and i have no context for that, so that. like
0: I don't know like what it is without him um I guess yeah I, I don't know what it is without him but when I just want when I watch the games I just don't I was I was really kind of focusing in on him during this game and I've only watched it once but it just didn't seem to me like he was making much of an impact at all um he was either sitting I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, but Franco (laughs) Ibarra clearly adds so much more to the team just in this style of play, the way he plays. And again, when you look at the two midfielders that this team was going against, I think that you got to look at Santiago Sosa and a Marseille. But I think that Santiago Sosa is kind of the, the consistent uh, piece in, in Mm -hmm. when we've seen this team play poorly. Like we've seen a Marseille and a Franco Ibarra when they've played together, they've played really well. Um. so to your they point play good enough yeah to your point right? Like, I think when that, we
1: talk go ahead sorry
0: well I was just gonna say to bring it back to Pineda like I think that you know he's dealing with maybe a, a midfielder in Santiago Sosa that is not ideal for the for the way he wants to play
1: yeah and to add to that I mean when we talk about like oh we got to get Amar out there that is relative to the other pieces exactly that Lady yeah. United has you know that is relative to the the price tag he carries the, the cap hit he carries. We would, I mean, we, we like him. Or he's a really good dude and a, a good soccer player, we think. But he really probably shouldn't be one of your two best midfielders. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: That, that really shouldn't be the way the roster is structured.
0: We've said it. Like, he should be a Kevin Kratz type. Like, he should, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's the kind of role he should be playing. Maybe, maybe more than Kevin Kratz, mm-hmm. but that kind of play, rotational midfielder. Exactly. Can, exactly. He, he can be the kind of player that you bring in to help balance things out in a game. You know, what whatever you need, you know, he can kind of come in for any matter of player to to give you what you need, whether it's a more him coming in for a more defensive player or him coming in for a more of a attacking midfielder. And he would be that guy on
1: most MLS teams, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. So at least
0: anyone that's champ challenging for a championship, you know.
1: Exactly. And Atlanta's the roster isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. The roster isn't there yet.
0: And they're still so. hamstrung. I mean, it's, it's worth going back and considering what Garth Lagerwey said before the season where he's like, listen, this is gonna, we're going to have to eat some crap this year. Uh, he didn't say that, but mm-hmm. like, like this is going to be a difficult year for the team. And hopefully it's one that can start to establish something that they can build on going forward. So I just want to see that building start to take place. Maybe it will happen. Maybe maybe it will be. More relevant after the trans after the summer transfer window, where we know that Garth likes to do a lot of business. We certainly expect some ins and outs happening there, and maybe how they perform from that point on will give us a better indication of what this team is ultimately going to be going forward with or without Pineda.
1: It all needs continuity, too. Like like I said, I kind of like the the setup and the structure of Etienne on the wing. You pro- you plug uh, Gigi in there with Etienne and Wiley on the wings. You get Sadah Shinabara. And their midfield. And I think probably everything, like the identity part we're talking about and everything that we kind of saw kind of start to start to come out at the beginning of the year, I think a lot of that probably shows up in an effective way, but it needs continuity. And that's something that like, when we talk about the Seattle teams, like getting their shit together in the summer, part of that is the moves that Garth made. And part of that is just using the start of the season, I think, to kind of find out what that identity is and what that best 11 is and getting players healthy and all that kind of thing. And then finding that particular group to, to close the season. And I think Gonzalo has said as much mm-hmm, before. And that's did. what he was saying at the end of last year is that like, okay, well I want to find my, my best guys and then stick with them. And I think because of injuries, because of DPs like Louise underperforming and high price players, like I said too, underperforming, it's made that, process slower mm-hmm. and that is where like the patience needs to come in and i think it will pay off i think it will you know but it takes some bravery on gonzalo pineda's part to find that lineup and stick with it like yeah. if last week's lineup against miami plus yakimakis nabara is the group it's gonna take some bravery to sit Luis on the bench for a bit yeah you know yeah. It's going to take some some bravery to keep Sosa and Hosetsu on the bench because they, they make a lot of money. <laughs> they make a lot of money. And it's tough to manage that, but it might be worth it in the end. And I'm curious to see how he approaches it. Curious to see how the locker room kind of holds up in a in a tough spot. We had the weird thing yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, Joe, where – Claymond Diop posted on I, his public Instagram story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: essentially. So these, these
0: players are too online.
1: They're too <laughs> online. Yeah. Um, the The gist of it was a distribution question mark and like a laughing emoji and him kind of stroking like, okay. his very nice beard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and kind of giggling about that. The insinuation there either being directed towards maybe broadcasters who said that's the reason he didn't start or potentially being towards a coaching staff that chose to start Quentin Westberg for reasons that may have been described to him as distribution. We don't know for sure, uh, but that is what was posted. And if it is the latter there, that is a kind of public uh, Mm -hmm. chip shot at Mm -hmm. at the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not great. That's Mm -mm. not great. Mm-mm. And the one thing that will convince me that it's time to move on from Gonzalo Pineda is losing the locker room. Right. If that happens, then it's the same thing with Frank, right? Once the culture that Gonzalo Pineda is clearly trying to establish just dies, you don't get it back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to move one manager than it is to move a bunch of players uh, who are upset. The one thing I. I feel like I am starting to see those cracks too, like the cracks in the like player support for Pineda. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that anecdote is one reason why the other thing that really made me concerned that I saw in this game, and this is more tactically and goes back to like them, just not really having a, a great idea of how to get the ball into the box and create shots. As we saw Thiago Almada on several occasions, he seemed to be just like, screw this. I'm taking the ball, and he would like kind of dribble it down into a corner and then like turn around and just and then just try to get a shot off and that by that time, you got like eight Miami players behind the ball, and it usually gets blocked um and but it just seemed like he was like frustrated to a point where it was like, screw this, I'm going, this is my show, and I'm taking it on. I think we've <laughs> seen Luis Arujo do that at times as well. His body language still doesn't look great to me when he's on the field. he looks kind of angry, maybe he was angered by the fact that he was drop for this game, although maybe he felt like he needed the refreshment uh, since he's played almost every minute for this team. I don't know, but I don't love the body language that I'm getting from those two players who are two of your most talented and that you really need to be playing cohesively in order for the team to get the results that you want. And then one more thing on Aruju, I just thought a lot of people were giving him a lot of credit for, uh, you know, he I think created five chances, which may have been the most for the team in the game, despite the fact mm-hmm. that he came on late. There's a lot that goes like Miami for the last 15 minutes <laughs> was not playing soccer. They were in, yeah. uh, they were, there were just crosses coming in. Listen, I, I, it was fine. Like glad he created those chances, but to me, it's really doesn't matter. Gen- yeah. Generally speaking,
1: people are going to hop on the Louise on the left wing train again, I think. Mm-hmm. And it, we've talked about it before. We're curious in it, you know, and he did play some nice balls off his left foot from that but you're right there's a lot to kind of consider uh in regard to the context of him creating all these chances
0: so i'm, yeah. I'm not and sure that's the against 10 it. men too but in, at the end uh, of the yeah
1: it sure was wasn't that's it? when it sure I mean, was.
0: nine nine of atlanta's 17 shots came in the last 15 minutes when miami was playing with 10 men mm-hmm. if it weren't for those they would have had less shots than miami i mean they had less shots than miami before the red card
1: one of those 10 men, Joe Patrick. We haven't even mentioned them yet, which is shocking. Joseph Martinez scores twice uh, in about the funniest way possible. It's
0: taking us 40 minutes to get to Joseph Martinez. <laughs> That's kind of incredible. What
1: a, what a week. What a week. Yeah. Uh, scores twice. Um, look, I don't think that means anything I wrote about him earlier in the week I, is off. He's still been really, really poor this year. Those were his first two goals for a reason. One was a penalty. The other was... He came back to life there for a second, didn't he? That's kind mm-hmm. of the best run we've seen him make in a long, long time, mm-hmm. I think. And, of course, it comes against Diana. Uh I, I'm not sure how much there is to really say about that. Um, I, I do think that anyone, like, concerned about him, like, celebrating or what the fuck ever. Like, calm down. Yeah, Stop. Okay. Who Please. cares? Please. Um, it. Also, kind of seemed like from folks in Miami, a couple of inner Miami beat reporters are like, "Oh, wow he he did his celebration toward the Mm -hmm. traveling Atlanta fans. He did the kneel. He said that they kind of he
0: looked up towards the supporters, the Atlanta Mm -hmm. supporters, and then kneeled in front of them. So if that's what you're upset about,
1: or if you're upset about the penalty call, even though (laughs) Machopchol drove a goddamn Mack truck through that dude,
0: it was yeah.
1: Like, please stop. Yeah, please."
0: the the chol penalty it was clearly a foul clearly a foul in the <laughs> box I I I said something about it because I thought it was hilarious the way that I think it was one of those teenagers uh, the teenage midfielders who it was hmm. on the ball and the way he flopped it was like uh, somebody who gets a who we get the stone cold stunner and then they would like mm. flop around <laughs> It was like really it was it was pretty good pretty funny uh yeah yeah good and sell still a foul it's funny the joseph thing it was almost anticlimactic the way it all happened where like he comes mm-hmm. on i think everybody kind of expected him to score just because you know yeah. screenwriters that's how they mm-hmm. do these things and um but that it comes like from a penalty right away, right after he comes on. Not a penalty that he drew. I thought kind of made it anticlimactic. But I did want to say something about you know, the reaction, at least that I was seeing on Twitter to that goal. It was a lot of like um, like self-flagellation from an Atlanta United perspective. And like, you know, Joseph's the best, Atlanta United is terrible like we deserved for this to happen to us because of the way that he treated. Basically, I'm just trying to encapsulate the the general feeling. And I think that that's basically at this point on Atlanta United because they have not given the fans something else to really um, get behind, especially in that game in particular. They haven't like they were so disappointed with the way the team played. It's like you see Joseph Martinez score. It's like, yeah, okay, well, at least like, you know, it's very easy for at fans to get really happy. cynical. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was a very cynical attitude, but I think that it's on Atlanta United to, to try to win those fans, not win them back because they are Atlanta United fans, but you got to really like win their hearts back, you know, because if Atlanta United was winning three, nothing and looking amazing and then he scores the penalty or scores a goal or whatever, I think there would have been a kind of a different reaction uh, than the kind of reaction that I saw, at least on Twitter.
1: Look, this this could bounce back so quickly, and everything could be fine because MLS. Like, I, I just kind of want to keep hammering that part home. Like, you have Charlotte, Colorado, Chicago, Orlando. Charlotte, you gotta games. win that. I mean, uh, yeah. Chicago and Orlando coming on the back road. home that'll be weird, but Charlotte this- and Colorado this next week. It's got to be.
0: Yeah, especially coming back home. You just, you got to show something at home. And I think that's why, again, I go back, I keep on going back to that Memphis game. I was just like so disappointing the way that the team played. And I get it's US Open Cup and you weren't playing with Almada because of that and everything. But you really want to see this team like feel like it's important for them. And oh, one of the things I was a little bit concerned about after this game. Was Gonzalo Pineda being like, we played well. We we were like dominating the game. Quentin Westberg said it too. I'm getting this from, from Doug Roberson's podcast where he had the sound on. Um, he had postgame sound from Pineda and Westberg in that game. Westberg's like, you would have rather been us than them in the game just based on the way that we played. And like, I get, I guess where that sentiment comes from, but that's not what I hope is being expressed behind closed doors. You know, maybe they are just putting that out there publicly but i hope behind closed doors they're all acknowledging that they were not nearly nearly good enough
1: yeah i think that's fair we talked about how gonzalo kind of manages media before and there is truth to the fact that like at some point the fans just want to hear him say that just wasn't good enough mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we get what he's trying to do he said it wasn't good enough but, after memphis you know? right yeah exactly and you know Again, I I think they were probably one penalty away from winning this game. I think that's probably true. I think, again, they had a lot of things that were somewhat encouraging, just not quite there in that first half. I I think all of those things are true, and everything else we said can also be true. Mm -hmm. All of these things can be real. Mm -hmm. And that makes it so frustrating. Mm -hmm. That makes it so frustrating. What's not frustrating, Joe Patrick, right, is that we're going to take a quick break right now.
0: Never frustrated with Lucid FC. The only thing that's frustrating for me about Lucid FC is sometimes I stumble through these ad reads. So we'll hope not to do it now. Lucid FC. That's why
1: we make you keep doing it.
0: (laughs) It's funny. (laughs) The the worst one at doing the ad reads. Um, Lucid FC, that's footwear and clothing, by the way. They've been sponsoring Five Stripe Final, being the presenting partner for Five Stripe Final for a few years now. And so we really thank them for that. They've got a shop that's open by appointment and walk-ins from one to 8 PM daily. It's right in Buckhead. It's located at 3209 Paces Ferry place. And they've got all kinds of cool stuff. You can go on their website to check it out at lucidfc.us. It's like, if again, if you're new to this, it's like European streetwear style, uh, stuff, which I think soccer fans really like. It's really cool. Uh, Maybe too colorful for me some other stuff, but I actually have a lot of their stuff that I wear all the time. I got they they hooked me up when we initially did the deal with some of their clothes. So they've got like a a little parka that I wear. It's like gray. I know I just want gray stuff, so they've got some gray stuff that I can wear. Um, they've got new releases that come out usually on Thursdays, but they've got a new uh, spring summer collection that's also out. So you check definitely check that out again on lucidfc.us. When you go there, you can use DSS as your free shipping within the United States. That stands for down South Sports. Use that DSS as your shipping code at lucidfc.us.
1: <laughs> Let's get some more down south sports right now. That's what answer your question as we answer um, all your questions Um, mindless mando says what explains the increased disjointedness we have seen in this team we have looked more coherent in previous games even when we even when we had a dp out is it just other teams learning how to deal with our midfield or is it something else this is something that is an interesting subplot to all of this is that gonzalo pineda kind of openly said teams have adjusted to us right and so now the task on them is to adjust the adjustments i think we talked about this last week you know and that that's not that hasn't necessarily happened has it not much not much there's only so much you can do right with the roster you have with the players you have and everything like that but it's uh it is part of the concern that things have trended south so quickly and i think it's one of those negative feedback loop things We've talked about, we talked about a ton last year where players stopped moving off the ball because there was no trust, no sense of like, okay, if I take this risk, someone will be behind me. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that's so extremely Ted Lasso, right? Like, and they even talked about it directly in this year uh, of the show. I I was watching the other day. I was like, oh, hey, this is the thing we were talking about with Atlanta. Uh, but. That trust is missing right now in some extent. and I don't think it's because like they don't like each other or anything like that. It's not a rah-rah thing in the same way Ted Lasso is. It's more right. that... Do you trust Santiago Sosa to, to cover for you if you make a run? Right. Do you, do you right. trust Sadich? Do you trust all these guys? I, I think the answer is no. Right. And it's feedback looping into, okay, I'm just going to stay right here just in case.
0: Yeah, and, and I would say just to get even more specific about it, I mean, I agree with all that, but even to be more specific, it's funny because I've heard a lot of... uh Lamenting about how Yorgos Yakimakis isn't in this game, and that's kind of why the team is struggling to score and all that. I think it's Franco Ibarra missing is way more important at this point, just in terms of the midfield being able to operate properly. And I feel like if Franco Ibarra is in that game, I think that Atlanta United really does overwhelm those two central midfielders from Miami. I mean, Franco Ibarra might have put one of them in the hospital uh, with those, you know, immature bone structures that they've got. In the way that he tackles, but I just think that he just the element of his game fits so much better around with the rest of the players and what Gonzalo Paneda wants to do that. I think that that's the that's one of the big reasons. Again, it doesn't explain like whole team disjointedness and some of the passages of play that, you know, we've been talking about earlier in the show, but I just think that he would have made such a big difference to have him in this game and every game basically.
1: Yeah, I agree. He was in concussion. Pro- pro- nah, he was in concussion protocol this week. If you guys were wondering where he was, I, I just, I'd expect him back. Hopefully,
0: says a lot about Franco Ibarra that he goes into concussion pro- protocol on a Wednesday.
1: <laughs> just a casual thing. Man. <laughs> just a casual thing. It'll help a lot. It'll help a lot. Uh, Super soft free kick party says, "Can you please ask Pineda the thoughts behind pulling Etienne when he was still making an impact?" Yeah, sure. We can. We can ask this week. Was it a fitness issue or just trying to get the twelve million dollar player? On the pitch. And I I think it's the latter. I think it's trying to get Louise on the field. And I think I kind of wish they had done it another way because I did think Etienne was finding spaces that Louise wasn't and adding to some of the interplay that Louise hasn't added to. But I would have liked to see Louise just take over for Chop up top. Same here. Not do Barry up top. I just would have liked to see it. Even if they didn't really know what they were doing, I just would have liked to see that much more quality on the field and like that's kind of a Schmetzer Schmetzerian thing right just get your best players out there
0: see what happens totally that's where yeah. I
1: am with the striker position without Yakamakis
0: I totally agree and where I am with that's, the wheeze that's the wild card that's the wild card you can use is to just <laughs> you know put a put a player in a new position and it's only for what 20 minutes like we're gonna see if it works and it would have given Miami probably something totally different to have to think about because they would not have been Prepared for for something like that, I would think. So, yeah, I'm still a Ruju striker. Curious not for us to start the game, probably, but at least in some of these situations.
1: Yeah, Uh, again, going to take some bravery on Gonzalo's part, I think, to maybe make some of these hard choices to get the best to get the best players out there.
0: I just want this is totally off topic. But one thing that I literally I just started laughing out loud uh, during the game, which at the very end for the last corner, like. They're like, oh, the goalkeeper is coming up and Quentin Vesper goes up there. (laughs) And he's still, like, shorter than basically everybody else. (laughs) He's, like, in his goalkeeper gear, but it's like, yeah, he's, like, still way shorter than everybody else. Like, how much does this help? (laughs)
1: None. It helps. none. Cursive Kid says, I think we've hit the maximum output of what you can expect from most of these average players. It's been years. Not even mad at them anymore. That's, wow, that's the harshest thing anyone has ever said on this show. I feel, I nothing you. Says, says cursive kid. I know, thank you. Uh, would we be better off to have worse, cheap midfielders, but they fit together in a mix of Santi, Abara, Josetta, Amar is better than meh? Uh, I think Abara Abar and Amar can at least be better than meh, but you're right. I mean, everyone else is kind of just that. But as far as like worst or cheap, let's not get worse soccer players. I, I get what you're <laughs> <Right>. saying, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, uh, spend some money. And a way that actually matters in midfield, and I think we'll see big results.
0: Yeah, I'd prefer a, a DP midfielder that would uh, probably be a better make make midfield better overall. I just again, I oh, it's almost becomes even more clear. I feel like after this game, like if you were to, for example, like move Luis Araguzu on, who didn't even start this game, and play and get a badass designated player. Number eight, put that player that so they can interplay with Tiago Almada. They can cover a lot of ground. You would still have you know Etienne and Wiley on the wings. You could probably add a you know a wing or two with some of the money that would be freed up. That can get freed up still from Marcelino Moreno else and elsewhere. Um, yeah, that makes me salivate a bit. And I think that, I mean, obviously they got to improve midfield. It's like it's so it's so clear. <laughs>
1: I, I want to add too. I think everyone knows that. Like, I don't yeah, think like anyone agree. is agree. agree, unclear on that. And like sometimes we need to remember to listen when people talk. Like when Garth Lockaway says, "Our goal this year is a home playoff spot." Mm-hmm. He did not say the goal was to be the best team in MLS, mm-hmm. win MLS Cup, and everything mm-hmm. like that. I think he knows and they like, are still how fourth progress, and they're still fourth. But there's still a lot of progress to be made in this roster. A lot.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. A lot. Uh, Machine Epsilon says, is the team running a drill in practice like the red light green light game from Squid Game where the when a teammate has the ball just outside the opponent's box, you have to stand still as possible. Otherwise, you get shot. Uh, I, think, I think the defense has been relatively mostly OK, but there are some concerns. Uh, Joe Patrick, what have you thought of Andrew Gutman lately and this year?
0: goopman you know he does a lot of good things but he also makes some mistakes um but overall i mean i think that he's a net positive for the team for sure i think Um, he is
1: too and it's weird that he just kind of seems to be on the receiving end of some struggling defensive moments if that makes sense, yeah exactly exactly in a way that he may maybe wasn't last year maybe he was and we just didn't notice. Um it hasn't necessarily been an outstanding defensive year for Gutman, especially defending in his own box, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Like in yeah. rest position defense and all those kind of things in, in a lower block kind of setup. It hasn't necessarily been outstanding from him. And that, that's just something to watch. I mean, for, for what value you're getting for Gutman, it's all worth it. You know? He's not the person I'm here to complain about, but it mm-hmm. is just something to watch.
0: Hmm. Um. I don't get the Squid Game references because I have not seen the show. But um, like
1: ninety nine percent of it's good, and then you get it at
0: the end, and it's like, okay, well, this was, this was dumb. <laughs> but ninety nine percent is pretty good. When a teammate has the ball just outside the opponent's box, you stand as still as possible. Don't don't worry about it. Okay. Chris
1: F says, was this an eight plus three, seven plus four, or something else? Does that alone explain the result, or should we be concerned about more than just injuries at this point? Uh, it's a good point on it being a pretty um rotated lineup as far as missing starters but it's tough to really rely on that too much when inter miami is also missing a heavier chunk of starters in this right, one right you know it's it's not great it's not great although i guess maybe no not nine they were they were a plus three atlanta united at the was the best. more talented team on the field yeah. so Saturday. we can kind of throw things out the window on that one for the most part Uh, gojd says is it as simple as with Gigi and almada are we good and without both we aren't is it as simple as with gg and almada we are good and without both we aren't uh that's true for a lot of teams missing two dps to be totally honest yeah in mls
0: yeah yeah totally like they're definitely not good without those two players for sure (laughs) almada probably mostly he's because he's the most influential Just." because of the position that he plays, but also the technique that he brings with him to that position. Uh, I did want to say something on on Almada. I actually thought he was really poor in this game. I had one tweet about how he was great because he did make one. He had one through ball that was absolutely ridiculous, which I feel like he does once a game. Um, But, you know, again, when we talk about the body language of the team, I feel like Almada is he's not buzzing around the field like he was early in the season, like trying to pick up the ball and get into some of those deep areas drive the team forward i felt like he was more waiting for the game to come to him when you look at the ball recovery numbers they they spell that out. i actually don't have them in front of me right now but i remember looking at them and they were just lower than what they typically are i think he may have had four or something um that to me is is an indicator the ball recovery stat i think is a good indicator of like you know who's getting in the in the mix, you know, and who's winning the scraps, those kinds of things. And he didn't have many wins. Also, I think uh Santiago Sosa may have only had like four ball recoveries in his position, which is really bad.
1: Miguel Almiron was great at this. Yeah, yeah. He, he like led the league in ball recoveries. He was yeah. excellent. Yeah. In that matter. Um I, I think Almada maybe cooling off a little bit. I think the I think what we said at the beginning of the year about, you know, maybe scoring bangers from outside the box at a world class level was maybe not super sustainable um Mm -hmm. so if you had almada mvp stock i probably would would back off that a little bit at this point and maybe try to sell if you can but uh yeah still a very good player who's not getting the the help around
0: him right now to really really succeed i guess for me i just can't help but wonder if you know when you start getting rumored to make a big move to Europe, you know, do you start trying to play in a way where you may avoid injury or something like that? Um It's something curious. to watch.
1: I haven't been super yeah. concerned about his his effort level for the most yeah. part, but it's something to watch for sure.
0: Yep. For sure. Uh where were we,
1: Joe? Uh, oh, Five Strike Bully says, I would love to hear you guys dig in the topic of why do our strikers get so few touches on the pod? This is an eighteen month. Trend now, 18 plus month trend now. I think Almada is a good ball progression guy, so is the issue uh that he is too deep perceiving and or the player and the six roll can't get it to him, Pineda system issues. I think part of it is that you don't have guys playing line breaking passes and a double pivot, that's really critical. You know? Sosa so for mm-hmm. all his quality passing ability to the wings and diagonals and everything like that. You don't get a lot of line breaking passes, do you? No, now part of that could be don't. players not finding those positions, and I think that was something that Etienne was doing that was really, really good because Luis just didn't really do that, but neither neither player really neither Hosetsu, Sosa, a lot of them kind of struggle with that, don't they?
0: Yeah. Um by the way, uh I was wrong on the recoveries numbers completely. Santiago Sosa had seven, so that's better. Almada had one, which was okay. not typical. Um but to your point there, uh, I don't know how to direct to anybody to this any better than go to my timeline on Twitter and go read the scouting, the initial scouting report that Teodal Football wrote for Dirty South Soccer when these two players, Franco Barra and Santiago Sosa, were first signed. It's really fascinating to look back and it's. Basically, for the most part, I would say spot on. And one of the things that he says there is Franco Barra, despite the fact that he's more of like a, you know, all action, you know, tackling midfielder, is much more likely to make a progressive pass than mm-hmm. Santiago Sosa. He's like, Franco Barr is a more forward thinking, you know, push the envelope kind of player than Santiago Sosa is, who's more of a a sideways and backwards passer. And again, when you look at the stats and the, the long balls, I mean, I did notice a, a couple of them in that game Saturday. It's like, yeah, it's a successful long pass, but it's not anything super special. It, it didn't really change the phase of play it wasn't like a switch that really then creates an overload for the team going forward it was just kind of um it was just kind of a pass (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) wasn't changing the uh the element on the field so
1: yeah that's something that changed for me this year is is kind of my understanding of how effective those passes have been because there were moments last year where Santiago was playing the pass before the pass pretty often
0: Mm -hmm. To some extent. Yeah, 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 Uh, yeah. But
1: the more I think about it, the more those weren't coming against rest defenses. Those more of those weren't coming against kind of established mid or low blocks, you know. And Mm -hmm. that's what Atlanta United faces. Right. Continually. Right. And if you can't play line breaking passes into people finding pockets of space, uh, whether that's all your fault or whether that's a combination of people's faults, which is probably the truth, it's not good. It's not good. Like, think about Nashville last week. They put Dax McCarty out there. And they even like shifted away from their diamond eventually, but they put Dex McCarty out there, and he's able to play line breaking passes and caused a lot of issues. You know, mm-hmm. he's really really solid at that. And Atlanta needs that kind of six, who can sit back and do that, or at least create transition moments where it's easier, play line breaking passes, and that's what Ibarra does. Mm-hmm. Eventually, that will turn into strikers getting more touches, is my thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to go yeah. back to the question,
0: yeah. I mean, but to your so, I think part of it is, and you just mentioned. Atlanta faces these deep blocks often because it has shown mm. to be effective and when you're playing against that kind of team, your striker is not going to get as many touches because they're just more crowded out of the game. They don't have as much space to work in. You're just not able to find them as much. So I think that you'll see the striker touches really increase when Atlanta United starts to show that they can score against teams that are just going to sit back against them and that could open things up. There probably is some amount of system to it as well. The manager probably just likes the forward to stay up top and be a, a, a what do they call it, a, a reference point for the team instead mm. of uh one who drops in and wants to to get on the ball. So there's probably a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, the GG numbers aren't bad as far as touches go, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Not bad, not bad. Let's see, we got one more here. Pineda, it's been a long show. Pineda had 17 yeah, says, deleted my rant in favor of more level-headed thought. Thank you, Pineda had 17 how many coaches in MLS could legitimately coach this team to insert your favorite trophy in 2023 uh that they definitely could not win the trophy with the one on that uh but I don't know I, I can't think of anyone really who I'm like yeah they 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 turn this around
0: Yeah this this goes to your point of like the the coaches don't this goes to the coaches don't matter point where it's not like you could just drop in some other manager and they would be getting drastically different results based on what the coach has to, to work with right now. I don't think Tata Martino drops in and wins MLS cup with this team. Mm, I don't. Right. I don't think Jim Curtin does either. I don't know that, you know, because he has a very specific way that he likes to play and that requires specific players on the roster that can do the things that he wants. So that's, that's what we're kind of, this kind of what it all boils down to. What we've been talking is that you just, you got to have uh, <laughs> symmetry symmetry oh. between what the coach wants to do what the GM wants to do and that's what we've talked about Garth Lagerway, you know having the analytics not it's not the analytics aren't just for recruitment the analytics can work with the coach to help kind of identify what players excel at what areas and how you can best set up the team tactically to be able Mm -hmm. to suit everybody that you have on the roster
1: the word you're looking for to Patrick is alignment 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 that's a good one that's a good one college football a lot with boosters recruiting all that kind of thing that's right alignment that's right in the front office yeah, with the coaching. Um, but yeah, I know people are going to like, I meant start throwing out synergy, names.
0: not sim- symmetry. If, if that's yeah, i I know you yeah. did, bud. I know you did.
1: <laughs> um, people are going to throw out, uh, other names like Steve Torundolo at LAFC. Like he's got so much goddamn talent to work with all the time. Always. That's John Thornton's fault. Uh, not Steve Torundolo's. people are going to maybe say Bruce arena. Bruce missed the playoffs last year. Fight me. Um, you know, it, he's, Got a ton of talent right now, and it's going to be really interesting to see how he manages having a couple of those pieces injured now. If I bet New England takes a step back. Uh, someone's going to say Wilfred Nassay, who has been really good. Admittedly, and has gotten a lot out of not so great players, but I mean, the Columbus team he's with right now is they have like 14 points through 11 games. They're losing kind of a lot of bad games as well uh they're kind of about the same as they were with caleb porter to be totally honest because the roster hasn't changed much there's still not a lot of great pieces there you can't talk me into anyone at mls past or present right now at this point who would come in and immediately turn this team into a contender
0: yeah i agree i agree
1: and with that agreement we'll agree to get out of here joe patrick I uh, let's see check out joe on 99 the game jerry south soccer go check out me at striker.com for all your Atlanta United coverage. Uh, I've got a newsletter on mlssoccer.com. We've got all sorts of stuff. Patreon.com slash 5 Final, as well. Check that out. Come join the Discord. Come hang out with us. Come talk with us. Come listen to more interviews and whatnot.
0: Joe, anything else to add? Nope. That's it. Check out Sam on the Striker for the best. Cool. Let's get out of here. Bye, y'all.